The framework of business is completely different in the new normal. To explore culture as the strategy, we have to look in places we haven't before. Looking into company culture from the C-suite to employees and from Fortune 500 to startups. It's time to understand the human side of company culture and the new shape it is taking. This is The Conversation on Culture Factor 2.0, and I'm your host, Holly Shannon. I'm really excited to share this with my Culture Factor 2.0 community. I've published Zero to Podcast. It was a book that I built to start my podcast, and I created it for myself just so that I could make other podcasts down the road. And then I realized that it's not just for me, it's for anyone looking to try podcasting for personal or professional reasons. So I'm also really excited to tell you that it already hit the top 10 in three best-selling categories on Amazon and number one in hot new releases in two categories. And even more exciting, the University of Chicago now carries it in their bookstore. So go buy your copy and get started. Zero to Podcast will be in the show note. I'll leave a link there. Or you could go to hollyshannon.com and you could buy the book and get any help you need building it for you or your company. Now on to our show. Today on Culture Factor 2.0, I have Amit Katabi. She is a self-realization guide, a powerhouse speaker, and a maverick storyteller. She guides people through the journey of self-discovery so they can meet their authentic self and live a powerful life beyond their ego, name, and form. Creating a safe space for people to be themselves and share authentically without the fear of being judged is her art. And I met her uh, about a year ago and watched her along her journey a little bit. And, you know, COVID has reshaped a lot of people and Amit demonstrates emerging leadership, which is a direction that I really uh, would love to talk about on Culture Factor 2.0. And she recently was in Strive Magazine and was so eloquent and, yes, the the amazing storyteller. And uh, so I wanted to introduce her to you. And hello, Amit. Welcome to Culture Factor 2.0. Hi, Holly. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So I read this article, and I'm going to start with the end. Because it ended so powerfully. So I want to start with the end. And then we're going to go back to the beginning where uh, along Amit's journey and how she got to this place. So in the article, Amit says, we've had it all wrong. We've been doing it backwards. When we are told to control, we should release. We are where we are expected to dominate be dominant, sorry, we should allow. And when we want to be seen, we should observe. So with that epiphany that she came to, she didn't get there overnight. So me, do you want to tell us how you came about this? Thanks, Holly. It's so nice to um, hear you reading this back to me. (laughs) Um, It's Yes, so it definitely not overnight. Um, this has been this has been really a life journey. Even though even in within the article, I talk more about the last, I don't know, maybe five or six years um, of life. But this is you know our life journeys is it's it, it is what it is. It's a life's journey. Okay, 
um, but to this, to the practices of, of uh, Zen and, and philosophy, different philosophies in general, like Stoicism and philosophies from the East, I've been exposed in the last uh, probably five, six years. And kind of like a little bit, I was telling in, I was, uh, as I was telling in the article, that it really did. It came from a place of desperation, which I feel like a lot of changes come from those places, right? Absolutely. From the, right? Yes. From this place of, uh, you know what? I can't, I don't know what's going on. This is how I felt. I don't know what's happening with me. Something is out of control. Um, I'm not satisfied. I'm unhappy. I've had all these goals in life and you know what? And I've achieved all of them, but every time I've achieved a goal, nothing was, it, nothing was enough. Mm. This was the endless pursuit. Okay. Like we all have those things that separate, that we think that separates us between, uh, that are between us and our happiness. For some people, it's 10 pounds. For some people, it's extra 20 grand on their salary. For some people, it's a partnership, a child, whatever it is. And I was kind of tired um, from this pursuit. Um, there was a time that I, ju- I just didn't understand what I'm, what I'm chasing anymore. Yeah, and, and you come away feeling unfulfilled with every goal you accomplish. Every time, every time. And um, as I started practicing the philosophies, I was present to something very, very powerful that um, it's one of, my, one of the things that I say often to, to people, to clients, to people in general that I work with, that everything is already present. You are not Everything is already here. We are not present. This is the whole self-realization journey. You see, um, how when we realize something, we just realize it. Doesn't mean it's not there. Okay, it's it has always been there. Things have always been there. The things that I've wanted have always been there for me. I wasn't present to it because we can't be present to what's happening when we always think of what's missing or what's next for us. We can't be in two places at once. It's either we're in our heads thinking about what happened to us in the past or thinking about what may come to us in the future, more worrying about it because we do uh, tend to more worry about things. It's either we do that or we decide to be here and now. You can be in both places. That's hard to do, right? Especially when we are when we set ourselves up with tasks and goals and we have people that are that need us, you know, you have a, a baby right then and there, um, you know, you have to be there. And you, we think that there's certain things that are needed to succeed even at that. So we were, ne- we're never really present. Share with me, um, I, I want to go back a little bit. Um, you know, you had a very pivotal moment with a past uh, uh, leader, you know, someone you worked for, and it made you go back even further and look at, you know, growing up. So can I ask you to share like what that situation was in the office space that it was also in the article and then go back in time with your relationship with your family? And I think maybe it'll bring a little context to the conversation. Yes, of course. So the specific um, um, scenario that I was talking about in the in the article was a um, was a comment that I've uh, that I heard from a former boss, and that came um, out of a response from for some for uh, an interaction that I had with a client. 
um, a client wasn't really satisfied with my um, with my service something that really didn't happen a lot. I think that it really came from, again, from this whole place that I wasn't fulfilled and satisfied. And you see, when we are not fulfilled and satisfied, um, that's what it's in us. So that's what will come out of us. Okay. And um, so we had this conversation about that. And then to, towards the end of the conversation, she made that comment that I, um, that is in the article that, um, you know, I think it's your accent. Your accent is intimidating. And, you know, that really broke my heart. That really, it, it was hard for me to hear. Now, it's important for me, though, to put the emphasis here, okay, when we talk about this story and about the comment, not to have a philosophical debate at the point on whether what she said was right or wrong or whether what she said is, uh, is even ethical, okay, to say in the workplace, because we can have many discussions on it, but this is, it really is not the point, okay? The point is not here to put a villain in this story. That's not it. The point is, was for this story is that the way I let that affect me, okay? Um, I, I shared a little bit in the article, but really there's a lot more depth in it because it affected me so much that I remember having anxiety and panic attacks in the bathroom, okay? That I could not, I felt I like as if I could not be myself now. I couldn't pick up the phone. If I had to make phone calls, I used to go outside and make phone calls. So it literally altered now my day. Okay, over one comment. Now, I want whoever is listening and, and for you as well, Holly, to really just think how many times in, the, in our lives does this happen to us? Does somebody one day tell us they love us, next day they ignore us, and then it can destroy our day, our week, for some of us, even months. Okay, so that's where um, um, I, there was some kind of a wake-up call because this was not the first experience for me. This wasn't the first time that, and especially, I especially noticed those dynamics and the, those dissonances for me with, um, with leaders, okay, with bosses, with managers, with coworkers and, and, and things um, like that, that someone will tell me something and it will create this storm inside of me and it will completely rock my world. And at that point, you lose control. I lost control because if somebody tells something, says something to me, makes a comment, and it shakes me completely, then who's in control here? Who's in control in my inner world? And I, I did not like that. I did not want my, my moods, my, the way I feel, uh, the way I walk in the world to be dependent on what someone else tells me. And that was a big moment for me to really, first of all, start getting some help that I realized that there's something here that it's bigger. It's bigger than this. Okay. It sits on a bigger pain point. I'm not sure what it is. I'm lost. I surrender. I need to find something now. And that's really how it started. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. You had said, you know, we could get into the whole story of how that person is the villain and what they did wrong. Um, but for there to be a villain, there has to be a victim. And if you're a victim your whole life, then you're probably not living your best life, right? Um, so you said in in your story that, you know, this has happened to you in the past with your family. Um, so your reaction to that situation was born of... Um, partially your upbringing and how you reacted to similar situations. Could I, could I ask you to share that as well? Yes, yes, of course. 
Um, I love that you said that the the point of a villain and a victim. Yes, you, that you need a victim, and that's when I chose to not be a victim and to 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 look within and see, okay, what, what's going on here. So um, that's a very good distinction and an important one, uh, because you can choose to be a victim or you're the hero of your story. You can really choose. Um, but yes, when it comes to um, to my family and the things that I've started to discover, was really you see, I had a um, well, I still have a father. He's still alive and and. Um, but the, I, my relationship with my father was, um, my father is mentally ill and he suffers from depression among other things. And our relationship was very, very complicated. Okay. And, um, as a little kid, I saw a lot of contradicting messaging. Okay. Things that are very confusing to kids, like one day or in front of other people. Okay. In front of other people from the outside, he looked loving. He was, he was even really admired by friends and in his family. And then inside in the house, when no one was looking, he became this, uh, uh, Mr. Hyde. If you know the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, he became this, this violent person, this, I almost felt like he hated me in in many times so so every time i and and this i know now right i i didn't know what i'm what i'm about to say obviously you you connect the dots backwards right not forward so i know that now um after starting this discovery and this journey that every time i heard someone with this authority you know figure or this person that i look up to this person that i think that should be there for me or protect me and all those you know things we think that about our parents often Every time I, I heard them say something, one, one thing as, you know, saying things like your success is my success and, you know, different, different slogans that leaders use often. But then in actuality, you don't see, okay, so how does this come to life? How does your success is my success actually translate to, to life, to the real world, to our day to day? And when I saw this gap, it used to trigger me. That was one of my trigger points. It used to trigger me to the point that I could lose sleep over that. And that really all stemmed and came from this relationship with my father. And he didn't only meet me there. He met me with friendships and with, um, you know, with my partner. Um, it, it really, it kind of bled into everything in my life. How, how did you ultimately come out of this victimhood to come to the point where you are now, where you're, where you said in there, uh, you said it more eloquently, where you, where you meet, meet myself. Well, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process. It's a process. It, it, it begins with making a decision with, uh, um, with understanding that, well, first of all, making a decision that you just, you don't know. Okay. There's some things here that you just don't know and you're going to be okay with it. And, um, I think that that was really the first step. This is also the first step that I, when I work with other people, it's first of all, to acknowledge that there's, there's probably like 90% when you talk about all knowledge that they have and all the things you don't know. Okay. There's a lot of things we don't know, not about ourselves and not about the world. So first of all, we need to acknowledge it and be okay with it. And when you acknowledge it and you're okay with it, something really amazing happens. Things start to open up. Okay, and you start being um, more receptive to things to come into your your you know consciousness or your awareness for you to even see. Because let's say six seven years ago, if someone was to tell me that I was being a victim of my circumstances, I would have gotten really really mad and upset, and and because I was there in that victimhood. Okay, 
So first of all, you need to, to realize that. And as I mentioned in, the, um, in my article, I was really looking to, to hear something different. I needed to hear something, some messages. Like it, it's, it's if I was just looking to, for some answers. And I started listening to, this, to all these inspiring conversations. And, 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 and from those conversations, I heard of, of, you know, of all these philosophies from Stoicism and, 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 um, and the Tao Te Ching and, and all the messages that I was hearing. I can't tell you, I can tell you right now how I didn't really understand what I was listening to. Okay. I, I had no clue what I was hearing, what I was listening to, but there was something that was like a spark in me that it was just so unique in its nature. It was a certain language that I've never heard before. It was very counterintuitive. It felt unique. So something just drew me to it. And I also heard the messages of, you know, you, you don't need to understand. Just trust. If it feels right, just trust it. So I kind of just followed that. Um, and of course, and, and that kind of brought me into a lot of things. I've also participated in different seminars after um, that I really learned on how, how us as humans, how do we, how do we operate? Listen, we, we own a very, very sophisticated machine. Okay. We own this body. We own this mind. And most of us don't really know how it works. And it's just, it's just so intuitive because you don't wake up in the morning and think, oh yeah, I have kidneys and I have a brain and I have this and I need to operate. It just happens, right? It just happens. And when I started learning how to operate this mind, I didn't know that my mind could be so dangerous, which, which it is. For example, we talk about my dad. Um, um, my father has lost every control at, at this point of his life, right? When it comes to his mind and now his thoughts own him, um, and what's reality and what's not, it's so blurry for him. And he has the life that he has that it's, you know, unfortunately pretty lonely and, um, it, you know, and that kind of what it left, you know, for him, but, um, uh, but but yeah, but for me, um, I really felt that I needed to, I needed to, to understand how this mind works. And, and as I started operating my mind very carefully and understanding what my thoughts mean and who I am, and it just made, it really just made life so much easier for me. It sounds like you've found your way out of your head almost so that you can, oh, exactly. yes, you could just act, act intuitively. <laughs> Um, so, you know, on this podcast, I have shifted to talking about emerging leadership and, you know, the goal is to be the leader that you've always wanted and never had, right? Which, which I think you, you alluded to in your article. Um, but we usually need to emulate leadership. I, you know, sometimes leadership is not intuitive to everybody. So they want to emulate what good leadership is, but you know, if you don't have any good leadership, <laughs> that's really difficult to do. So you spoke of three things that really help somebody to become that person. And you start with number one, leadership is an inside job. Can you speak about that? Yes, absolutely. So it's true. Um, unfortunately, what you said, good leader, I always say effective leader. 
uh, good or bad, you know, I feel like it's, uh, it's, it could be just a judgment, but effective leader is, you know, how, what is it that you're trying to achieve, you know? So if you're, if you're, Mm, so, that's a great so, yeah, correction. So if you're not, mm-hmm. you know, think of what is it that you you're you're trying to achieve, and if uh, if we're not getting there, and if we're not even close, then we're not being effective. That's that's really how how I see it. So it's true. Unfortunately, around me in my my physical world and at work, I didn't have many of those. So there wasn't many examples. There there, there was some far and far and few between, uh, but most of it I've learned what how not to, what not to do and how not to behave. Um, in the workplace, though, with with saying that, there's other leaders. You know, you can learn from leaders who are not close to you. Okay, I believe in servant leadership. So my, um, so people who I look up to will be the MLK, then you know Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, Malala Yousafi. There's there's many many more. Even pe- people like Mr. Rogers, Freddie Mercury. There's different people that I take I take things from. Um, and when you talk about uh, leadership, is um, is an inside job is that it's always about looking within, okay? It's always, you have to be so, so detached from your ego, okay, to be a servant leader, okay? And in, and in order to be attached from your ego, you really need to recognize even and understand that you have one and that you operate from it. Because if MLK was um, attached to his ego, he wouldn't be able to, um, to walk the walks that he did. Okay, and we all know the things that MLK have been through, and we know that you know people spit in his face, and and right, like literally, um, and the things that they've been through. But if if they were so attached to their egos and to themselves, and not to the greater cause, they wouldn't be have you know been able to to make the change that they did in the world and live forever, because they still live, maybe not physically, but they're still here. All those leaders. So leadership is definitely i saw often in teams when um when our leaders will come with um you know with their agendas right to work or to their meetings or someone will say something in the meeting and they will immediately take it on take it you know personal and then a lot of controversy will come in um um to to the meeting so you really need to make sure that you put yourself aside Okay, when you run a team, when you uh, when you lead, you cannot lead from your ego, period. But again, it needs to you first need to acknowledge that you have one and that you operate from it. But but there's no and and the thing is that this process is so deep, like we think that and I talk about it a little bit. We think that we need to do some professional development. Right. We always say I even remember asking my my boss, uh, my former um, former place I, I work for, they they gave us some professional, you know, development and things like that. And um, and I always try to argue the thing that you 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 need to, to, to develop you yourself. There's no professional development and self-development. There's no such separation. It's made up. It's completely made up. You first need to see why you operate the way you do, how what's going on with you. And then, you know, bring all that to work. All those things will come, you know, will come to work. You think you're separating, but you're really not because you may be trying to hide a few things, but it comes out. It will come out as anger. It will come out as some resentment, lack of cooperations, lack of collaborations and all those kind of things. So you really need to understand yourself first and control your, uh, I mean, how do you think about it? How hard it is to control our mind and, and to lead ourselves. It's difficult. It's a challenging work. So if you can't do it to yourself, there's no way you can do it for others. Mm, well said. Number two is trust. So 
we usually sit from a place of, I will trust you, but you have to earn my trust. And I've even done a podcast where we talked about that, but you are flipping the script on that conversation. Um, you had written to empower others to do the things they didn't imagine possible by trusting first of yourself and then trusting others, or, or maybe by trusting first yourself, you can then trust others. So you're not starting from a place of, I don't trust you until you earn it. Why is that? Definitely. You see, and this is where, <clears throat> when I said counterintuitive, this is where it lives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is exactly where it lives. And this is, by the way, Holly, this is just one out of, out of many, because as I say, life, life is a paradox. So, so there's a lot of uh, um, th those things of being counterintuitive, but really that is where all transformation is. And this is where innovation happens. It's, it's, it's when we, we think in the, in, you know, in this counterintuitive place and, so when it comes to trusting, we think, right? So we think, yeah, we need to trust those people first. I'm sorry, we need to, they need to earn it. And first of all, I don't even know what, what that means, you need to earn it. How does it look like somebody needs to earn it? This, it's up for interpretation, okay? You can look at it one way, I can look at it a different way. All of us will look at it different, okay? And, um, and the thing is about trusting is really, you first need to trust you. You think that you don't trust someone else when I say you, first of all, you're not trusting yourself because if you had the trust in you, I, I can tell you that I'm today in this place that I trust myself so much. It doesn't mean that I'm immune for people not breaking my trust. Okay. It happens. It happened to me and I'm sure it will continue happening to me. Okay. But I trust myself that I will deal with that too. Just exactly like I've dealt with everything else that came into my life. OK, I will also deal with that, too. There's there's this certain illusion that we think if I'm not trusting someone, then I'm protected. And it's an illusion. It's a complete illusion. And when, in fact, there's such a high price that you pay when you don't trust someone, everything that lives in you, in your in what you listen to people or in your consciousness will manifest will manifest itself. It's not this is where, where it comes to the question, uh, which came first? OK, is it you not trusting people that uh, is it the people who are next to you that are not trustworthy or is it you first not trusting and then people that are not trustworthy showing up next to you? Mm, absolutely. That makes so much sense. That really does. And, and like you said in the beginning, how do you really measure that? Like what how do you create this, the perfect scenario to earn trust? Like, does that mean like you have to spend six months uh, collaborating on a project and that person pulls their weight and you pull your weight. And then uh, magically on the, that six months when the project is done, you suddenly trust them. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Um, so it, it's not really something that's measurable. Um, so I, that's really interesting. Um, so number three, virtues and values over rules. Why do you feel rules are harmful? That's one of my favorite virtues. And I had, I had really, <laughs> I, ha I had so many points for this article, but of course I had to, I had to minimize, you know? Um, um, so I chose these top three, but really I have many more that, that, that I love sharing. Um, the virtues versus rules. You see, and I say it in the article, the rules um, that put there are put there by us 
right? Who invented rules? We did, okay? And the rules that we put in place are kind of conditioned to, to what's happened in, in the place where we live. It could be your company, it could be your culture, your state, you know, your, your city, whatever it is. And rules change, right? So humans have different rules in Japan and in Israel, and they have different rules here, okay? They're only a symptom of what's happening, okay, of, of the culture. And, and also, why do we put those roles from the beginning? To protect us from who? From ourselves. <laughs> I mean, who, why, why do we need all those roles? It's because we have kind of, I don't know, we, we've taken this path of not uh, being able to, you know, and now I'm going to talk specifically, I'm not going to, you know, to talk specifically about the workplace, okay, just because we're talking about leadership and um, even though leadership is everywhere, it's not just in the workplace, of course. Um, but we have taken you know, we've put in place all these rules and I just, I don't know, I don't know that they're working because if, and this is something that when I talk to uh, leaders in companies or a lot of HR people, for example, I have a lot of conversations with HR people. So I'll tell you how I know your rules don't work because you still have a hundred complaints on your desk of people who can't get along and they don't work well together and we still, th then they don't work. Okay. So something here, it's not working. We're just putting band-aids on things all the time. You see, when you are, I, and I'll give you an example through the example that I gave about the, the traffic signs. Um, the, the engineer, the traffic engineer that I mentioned in the articles, he actually mentioned, he says that we need less uh, stoplights, all lights, we need less lights or, or bumpers or all those things. We need, we, need, we need more organized chaos because what happens is that when we have rules, we just, we just follow them, okay? It's very conditioned, and this is wh where the conditioned mind um, goes to, kind of, this is where it shows up. So it's very conditioned. We are just being trained like robots. This is the rule and this is it. And I can't do this. We, we, we don't stop to think, wait, why, how, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no independent thinking. And this is where the responsibility is taken off of us. We don't need to think. Okay. When I see, uh, you know, when I see the green light, I just go. Okay. So, but when you need to stop and think for a second and stop and look and, and, and really think, wait, does this match? you know, what, uh, uh, whatever I'm about to say, maybe, okay, let's say to an employee or to a team member, does this match the values of what I'm living? Okay, decisions just become a lot more easier. And, and what I say becomes a lot more easier. Okay, because I have this value values and I have those things that just guide me, I don't need to sit and remember, wait, but am I allowed to say this? I'm, I can't say this. And, and I know that this topic can be very controversial, especially when it comes to what do we say in the workplace, right? When it comes to um, some language that is um, maybe inclusive, not inclusive. But I, I think that we won't even have all these issues of being inclusive or not. If inside we would have some kind of, you know, uh, a pleasantness inside of us or some kind of, uh, you know, love for the other human being, I don't think that we would have need all these, you know, definitions. And can I say this to the person? Or I can't when you know that you are guided by something that is a lot bigger than you. Yeah, the... The rules, it, that's a tough one. That's a real tough one. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that push back on that with you, um, that they feel that they need rules, uh, that people are more comfortable with them. Do, do they happen to say that when you talk to HR? Yeah, I definitely, because, because they're still in the mindset that people need to be um, controlled. 
or need to be told uh, what to do. And I um, and I understand and I re- and I understand and I respect that that um, that thing. But it, and again, it comes back to who who produces who, like which came first, right? Have we even tried something else? Have we even even right? Have we tried to um, um, to live and breathe? You, you see. Let's talk on, on mission and vision in, in com- values, values in companies, right? The, the dissonance and the gaps that are coming here is that we have some values um, that were made up by, you know, by leadership teams, though, though in, in practice, they just, they, they're just slogans, okay? We don't see how they come to life, okay? So, they, so we become cynical, around all those things so we don't really live them and then again this is where also all the rules come in place right so we we don't really know how to do this kind of culture we don't really know how to live um, a virtuous life or a life that is by um, again that is by values especially in the workplace because we again we make the separation thinking that okay in the home it's one thing or outside it's one thing in the workplace is is one is is another which I, you know, I, I, my opinion on it, I think it's completely um, un, not connected to reality because we can't make that separation for real. It's an illusion. Yeah. You had mentioned that earlier um, in the, in, when I was reading in the article that you can't compartmentalize self and professional self. Is that what you're referring to? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. Yes. And, and it's even harder with remote, you know, work from home right now. Um, it's almost like it's such an experiment because you're forced to not compartmentalize. There's no way. I mean, you have a little kid running behind you, you know, you're, you're standing, you know, you're standing at a, you know, an all hands on deck meeting in zoom and the, you know, maybe your kid throws up on your feet, like (laughs) nothing, nothing is more right. Like obvious than the self and professional self right now and work from home. Like they are living together mm-hmm. not necessarily in harmony <laughs> i know and i think this will be our next challenge it's how to how to do it with harmony i love that you say it's a good it's a good word because it's not a balance a balance is very delicate you know if you were talking about a balance if you if you flip one you know if you just make a a small move you you may fall <laughs> right so that's where i don't like the word balance i like the word harmony so that they can live together and this is and i'll take again to the point of what you said and how this is a real what a realization is so COVID came upon us and, um, and it just made us realize those things. Doesn't mean that they weren't there. So it made us realize certain things like, um, you know, like that I could coach someone in Africa. I mean, it was always there. The, the, the Zoom has been here for, for many, many years, right? It's not like I couldn't have coached someone in Africa, but all of a sudden COVID came and, I, and now I see that opportunity. Okay. It doesn't mean that it wasn't there. It's just that now as a collective, we see the opportunity. And the same with this, with, with, with everything being all mixed, the, the life and the, now it's just in our faces. That's all. It doesn't mean it wasn't there before. Okay. We had some, it's just that we had this separation that we used to go physically to work and now, but, but work and life are not, you know, they're not separate. I think that it's, um, it's just a construct of, of this, you know, uh, Western you know, world of us. But, and I think that, yes, the next challenge will be how do we do it, you know, in harmony? How do we do this with harmony and not feeling stressed or overwhelmed by that? Mm, I, I love, I really love everything you're saying here. And 
and I kind of want to end on this note, but I do, I do want to ask you, is there anything that I have not asked you that you would want to share with, with the one person that's sitting here listening to us? Um, I think I always try to I think every time I do, you know, these conversations, I, it's important for me that um, for us to understand, for people who are listening to understand that I'm, I'm talking to you. <laughs> we always do this uh, separation as if, you know, this person is like this and they can, you know, do those things and, and think this way or, but it's, it's not true. Okay. I always say, like, first of all, we're not special. Even those great leaders that I've taught, that I've mentioned before, we need to pay attention to what they were saying. Okay. Not to the, not to the like fluff around it, but to, we need to really pay attention because MLK, for example, have left this country with a manifesto on, on how to lead. And so maybe we'll try, instead of like quoting MLK on his birthday, let's try to be MLK like, okay. Let's like try to bring this leadership to work. It is, it is possible and not just in the higher levels. Okay. This is for, for everyone leadership. We all, you know, we all look up to someone if it's, um, I, I recently saw it's very, very clearly with the elections. Okay. That we were all looking to this, um, you know, this transition of power as if this is going to be our, our savior, right? This is going to save us from whatever it is that we have brought ourselves into, okay? So, and we all do like, not it, right? Like someone, someone else, someone else take charge, someone else do this. And, and I would love to empower everyone that it is us, that there's no savior, no one is coming, okay? We are in charge and we are responsible. So it really does start with you. So to, to not be scared to take this, you know, inside look to see who you can be for yourself and for others. And that's how you, you make change. OK, you, we don't have to run for office or to be the CEO um, or to be in any position of power. OK, you can start with leading yourself first. That really has the strongest ripple, the strongest ripple um, um, for change. Amita is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Where can everybody find you? Um, well, I on my website, so it's just amikatabi.com um, on my website. Um, I offer I offer two kind of 30 minutes um, um, sessions, free sessions. So one of them uh, would be kind of like, what, 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 what does it look like to work with me? And the other one is just networking. So I love networking and meeting new people. Um, I love collaborations. Um, really, that's how that's how I run my business is on networking and collaborations. So if you even just want to chat, I'm there for you. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, this has been so amazing. I thank you so much for coming on Culture Factor 2.0. This was great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.